Hey friends, Andy Jenkins again at the Hilltop. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Once again, I am taking you, I think I've got maybe one, perhaps two more talks in this series that I gave 11 years ago at the Birmingham Dream Center. Now, we were leading a small group back in 2011 uh, with my friend Jason and Robert and Rob and, and others, and that group grew from, oh goodness, what, what began as just a handful to over the next few months. Every single week, it seemed like new people were just coming and piling on. Uh, within a few weeks, we had 100 uh, through the spring, 200 at the end of the summer, 250, 300, something like that. We ran it through the summer. It was this incredible time where I really believed, uh, sure, I, I think we blessed a lot of people and encouraged a lot of people and breathed hope and life into so many people, but that event, it really on so many levels changed, transformed me, and it gave me a glimpse into really what our faith is. I, I grew up and I'm super thankful for the Baptist tradition in which I grew up, which I was raised. Uh, however, as, as you start growing and kind of owning your own faith, you start kind of sorting out, say, okay, wh- how, how, does this, how, how does this rest in my mind? How does this sit in my soul? How does this find space in my spirit? How do I express this as I walk this out tangibly in real life, in the real world where I, where I live, where we're raising kids and we're parenting and we're married and have spouses and we, we do our jobs. And so you, you really have to take what you've learned, the history that you had, and apply that. And so one of the things that I did, I, w- I was the primary teacher during that small group, is we really outlined what it means to um, access grace to receive grace and we did that through this series that i taught all about the cross in fact the information for all of that is in a free ebook that you can grab below the name of the book is redemption and we taught everybody for about six weeks on the blood of jesus i wrote my notes that eventually became a book that book is again you can download it totally free Uh, There is a paperback version if you prefer to buy that. And and there is, let me highlight this one to you. There is a $5 version. It's the old paperback version. Now now the book has a new cover because in the last year, we really rebranded everything on my website. But (laughs) Beth and I were going through the garage where I had all these books. And she said, you know, we got to clean off that shelf in the garage. And we found, I think, about 40 or 50 of these books. And she said, let's just send them out. Like, just figure out what, what would it cost us to ship them in the mail, you know, to buy the envelope, to pay the postage. Somebody wants it. Like, I think it costs us about five, six bucks. Somebody wants to pay the five bucks, ship it to them. And we'll give you access to the ebook and everything as well. All that's below. That was the first series we taught at the Dream Center. Second series was this one that I've been relaying to you the past few weeks. After helping people awaken to grace, to everything, as much as you can contain it in a couple 20-minute talks that Jesus has done on their behalf, really, we, we want to talk about how do we now walk this stuff out? How do we live our faith? And so week number one of that series, I really started talking about, hey, I think it really boils down to letting Jesus in the boat take the next best step. Do the next thing that he tells you. That was what we talked about on this podcast two episodes ago. After that, it was just reminding people, hey, you may not have all the facts, you may not have all the figures. The primary thing that Jesus wants to do while he's with you in the boat is not give you information. Now, he will give you some information. Doctrine is important, facts, figures, all of that. Yeah, you're gonna learn that, that's great. 
that's super helpful because it helps you understand the character of God. It helps you know what he's done in the past and what he's capable of, his capacity for your future. But the primary thing is not to impart information, it's to bring about transformation. And then today we get into this idea that this one is is hit me on so many levels because about four years ago, the life that I thought I was building just fell apart. It's a longer story for a different time, a different place. I'm happy to share it with you. In fact, if you want to come knock on the front door of my house, it's always open. We've got a fire pit in the back that we'll use 365 days a year. You just come over, we'll just hang out or come to one of the monthly cookouts. If you're local, we'll just hang out, we'll chat, we'll catch up. But this idea, this one, means a lot to me. When I, when I taught it 11 years ago, I had, I had no idea. It, it, here it is. It's just be the best where you are. Just be the best with the small thing, steward the little that is set right before you. Here's the truth about me. I, I'm often looking at what's the next big project? What's the next great thing? What's the next monumental task? You, you might do the same thing. You might think that the area where you are now, that the job you have isn't your end destiny, that the role you're fulfilling right now isn't what you were truly designed for, that right now, the, the things that fill your calendar, your space, that those aren't your largest destiny, that there's more out there. A lot, a lot of people use that language. I think there's more. And what I would say to you is you're probably correct. Uh, Ephesians says that he can do immeasurably more above what we can ask, think, or imagine. So the more that you can even conceive of. Scripture doesn't say you're dreaming too big and you need to just be content with where you are. It does say you need to be content with where you are, but it says that God actually dreams even bigger things for us than we can possibly even dream. However, the counterpoint is while we want to keep contending for that, we also want to be content and steward well in the present moment. So yeah, look look out in the future, hope for bigger things, hope for brighter things, hope for something more, but realize that sometimes the more occurs when you steward the small that's right where you are. We're gonna talk about David and Goliath today. Okay, fair warning. Here's the metaphor. Let's roll right into it. I'll be back after the talk. I was, I, was, I was kind of thinking this week, and um, we're, we're going to go to the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, if you've got your Bible and you want to go there. Uh, here's, here's, here's kind of what I was thinking about as I was thinking about that story. Um, how, how many of you were like me growing up, where you always felt like the good opportunity was going to someone else? I mean, I thought about this this week because Sunday, this pastor, just this incredible guy, taught this sermon, and in the middle of it, he had this story about resource, which was, in my school, resource was not for the, he said he was one of the slow kids, um, this this guy was, and of course, now he's leading this big church. Uh, When I was growing up, resource was this resource learning center for advanced kids. 
and, and they had at the same school, they had this thing called LD, uh, which was learning disability, so politically incorrect, they would just label that and call that. But Resource Learning Center was if you were fast thinking, if you were quick, uh, about fourth grade, you would take this test. And, and if you passed the test, you got to go to Resource Learning Center during the free period every day at school, and, and you got to do some things. You got to go on field trips to the fire department. You got to, uh, see if, if, if maybe some of you in here, was anybody in here in Resource Learning Center? You were the quick kid right there, right there, two of us, okay, two, not, not me, two others. And you got to go play on the computer all that you wanted, and the computer back then was the black screen uh, with the, and it, it was kind of this almond color computer, black screen, and you had the, the pick of the orange or the green letters. That was it. You guys remember that computer? It took forever to boot up. Uh, you got to do things like go to the library, and the way you got into Resource Learning Center was the teachers would nominate you. And you'd simply take a test, and if you pass the test of some written, some oral things, they'd ask you some questions, they'd take you into a room, and they'd, you know, talk about what kind of shapes were in there, and just kind of see how thinking you were. You'd listen to some things on the headphones and repeat that stuff back, eye test, all these. If you pass the test, you made it into resource. And so here's straight up what happened. Fifth grade, I went in there, and I got nominated uh, to go take the test because they thought I was advanced. Um, evidently, I wasn't that advanced because I, I bombed the test. And so I didn't get to go. And I saw all these other people with these opportunity to go to this thing, and the opportunity literally had passed me by. Um, sixth grade, uh, I got to take the test again. And evidently, I did worse on the second test than the first test because I didn't get to do the advanced thing again. And, and, and again, I felt like there was this tension where opportunity was going to every single other person but not to me. Maybe you've felt like that. In junior high, it was, it was this. There were guys in my church that were growing up in the youth group with me. And, uh, and this guy in the church straight up hired him. He hired him to go do some, he worked at a pattern shop. He owned this pattern shop that made wings of airplanes and cranes and made these forms that they poured, you know, to make. And these guys, you know, they always had extra money. They had this skill. They had this job. It was never offered to me. And it was another thing where this, you know, opportunity just green grass on the other side, not where I'm at, passed me by. In high school, it's the class officer. It's the, uh, anybody ever the class favorite in high school? Not, not me. <laughs> so uh, it's just opportunity seeming to pass by and go to other people. Other people, maybe you thought this, that were less qualified than you, um, not as quick as you. Maybe the person that chose them for that opportunity didn't have all the available information, and they should have known some other things. And, and it seems like for me, growing up, and I, straight up, I, I do this now, look at other possibilities that other people get, and it always seems that there's something more, something that I'm missing. I was looking in the Bible, 1 Samuel 17. Does that resonate with anybody? Anybody shake their head a bit? That's, that's, that's me. 1 Samuel 17, there's this story about King David. And, you know, King David, before he's King David, he's shepherd boy David. And David goes out, his father chooses him one day to stay behind while all of the other sons go out and actually fight. Israel, where David lives, is in conflict with the Philistines. And the way they would fight in that day is they would have all of the armies of one side line up on one side of the battlefield, all of the armies of the opposing side line up on the other side of the battlefield, and these two armies would just stare each other down for days. 
And they had this method of war that was really kind of this very humane type of warfare. Uh, they would send out their champion, their strongest, bravest, boldest fighter from one side to the middle of the field, and he would taunt the other side, and, and then that side would send out their bravest, strongest fighter to the middle, and these two guys would fight. And they would fight till either the death or till one guy surrendered. And whether you won or lost that side, uh, that loss would become enslaved to the side that won. And it was agreed, very humane way of warfare. It, instead of just rushing and just blood and, and body parts everywhere, it was just, you, you kind of got the glory of being in the army, but not having to do the war of the army. So if your guy won, you won. Okay, if you lost, you wouldn't be wounded. You just, you just, we lost. Thank you. You know, take me over. Is is capped a very humane way of battling, and the champion from the Philistines, he's gone out to the middle for forty days, and he has taunted Israel and taunted Israel to send out their best fighter to come out and fight him. Given the stakes that are, if Israel wins, Israel rules the Philistines. If Israel loses, the Philistines rule Israel. Do you see the, just the gravity of all of this? And so when we first meet King David, King David is not at the battlefield. In fact, here's, here's kind of where the story picks up in verse 17 of chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. Jesse said to his, that's his dad, said to David, his son, take for your brothers, he has seven of them, take an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 cheese loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and if so, bring some token to me. So David has not gotten chosen to go to this big opportunity to go fight. David has had to stay behind, in other words, while everyone else goes out to the war, everyone else goes out to the glory, and his dad now selects him, now chooses him for the very important task, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, of delivering bread and cheese and an ephah, which is about 22 liters, so 11 two-liter Cokes full of, of uncooked grain. Just It's heavy. It's, it's not even, hey, take this trinket to the front line. It's just this. Take this weight. It is grunt work. It is something that nobody in here would want to do on any given day, much less out in the desert. Take this stuff as the errand boy, as the gopher to the front lines where your brothers are. Oh, yeah, and by the way, if they're okay, bring back a trinket so that I know. Bring back the lucky charm bring back a sock, bring back a, a, a letter or something from the front line, just to say, first time you meet David, he is the, he's Domino's delivery. He's pizza, he's grocery, the Piggly Wiggly delivery guy taking stuff to the front line. Do you see that? And, 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 he, and he goes, so he, he gets there. And, and it says in the scripture, in, in about verse 20, it says, now when he came to the encampment, it, he heard the shout of the war cry, and the Philistines drew up for the battle, army against army against Israel. So David left the things that he had in charge of the keeper of the baggage, and he ran to the ranks and went and he gathered with his brothers to, to really just kind of get in and zero in and see what's about to happen because we're about to have, again, Goliath, the champ of the Philistines, is about to fight, in David's mind, the champ of Israel. This is a huge monumental moment that has everything to do with what's going to happen with the future of David and his family. So he, he runs out there, and there's nobody to fight. He goes out there, and it says this. It says, verse 24, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, Goliath, they fled from him. 
And they were much afraid. And, and they said, have you seen this man who's come up? The scripture tells us he was really tall. He was big. We've kind of got that as a, as a metaphor now. Goliath, you know, that word just means he's huge. They named monster trucks after, after Goliath, those types of things. Surely he's come to defy Israel. Now, now listen to this. And they say this, the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free, meaning no taxes, in all of Israel. David then said to the men, what will be done for the man? Almost as if David can't believe it, that he's going to get to marry the king's daughter, that the, that the king Saul would give him all of this money, that the king would enrich him, make him sit at his table at his house, that the king would also make him no taxes. And it's almost like David says, what? you, what? you got to be kidding. He, he would do all of this? And so the scripture says that, that they, they actually repeat that. They say, yeah, that's, that's what he said. He, he said, and David says, well, uh, who is this guy to defy the, the ranks of the armies of the living God? Now, the Bible then tells us this. I just hope you're putting the story together. Now, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. Eliab's anger was kindled, and he said, why, why have you come down? With what have you left a few sheep in the wilderness? I, I know your presumption. You came to see the battle. And David says, what have I done? It was just the word. It was just a question I asked. You see it? When David goes to the battle to fight Goliath, David's not going to fight Goliath. David goes to deliver bread and cheese and uncooked grain. When David goes to fight the battle against Goliath, David's not going to make a name for himself. He's not going to seek it out. David actually just even asked, well, well why is nobody fighting this guy? What was, what was promised? What, you got to be kidding me. That was what was promised and nobody's still fighting? The, the Bible tells us this, that after that happened, when David spoke the words and they were heard, verse 31, the men repeated them before Saul, and Saul sent for David. And so when Saul grabs David and he comes, David says, at that point, David says, I, I'll go. If there's no one to go, I'll, I'll go. For the God who delivered me from the lion and the bear and the, the God who delivered me, he, he will surely deliver me from this Philistine. I'll, I'll go. Do you see what's happening here? I always thought David was seeking to make a name for himself. I always thought it was just this big story about he, he shows up in this great faith, which he certainly has. But here's the reality. David was being the best servant that he could be in the field that he had, whatever it was. It was bread and cheese at the time. It wasn't giant killer. He didn't seek the position. In other words, the position was thrust upon him. When David went out to fight Goliath, I just wrote it on the screen there, he went out to serve in a very small, inconspicuous way. He didn't go out there to make a name for himself. He didn't go out there to be the king of Israel. He didn't go out there to even slay Goliath. Again, he went out to deliver bread and cheese. When David went out there, he wasn't, again, seeking fanfare. He wasn't seeking hype. He wasn't seeking to be the center of attention. He was just trying to run up to the rank to see what was happening. And while he was there, he simply asked the question, what's going on? Well, what's the king going to give to the person? Really? He's going to give that? And, and then kind of the humdrum kind of goes around. And, and all of a sudden, he's in front of the king. And then at that point, he's offered the opportunity to fight the dragon, the opportunity to fight the big guy who's there all after Israel, the one who has defied the ranks of the living God. Here's, here's what I think. And I know it's got to be such a balance here. I think too often, 
that what we do as the church is we go after people and we tell people, you've got to have lots of vision and you've got to have lots of faith because God has called you to something huge and colossal. And you know what? The reality is he probably has and you probably need lots of vision and you probably need lots of faith. But here's what I think. We're trying to breed giant killers when in the church really what we should try to breed is people that serve bread and cheese. People that just do the simple task and do the best possible thing they can do with what's said exactly in front of them. Do you remember what Jesus said about that? He said, if you're faithful with little, then you'll be faithful with See if you can feel it. If you're faithful with little, if you're faithful with bread and cheese, he says, I guarantee you'll be faithful with much. But we all want to wait for the much and skip the little when he says, be faithful with the bread and cheese, and then I can trust you. Here's the other thing I see in this story. You can't draw this clear line of David's life path from, just kind of get this, shepherd boy to delivery boy, which is kind of a step down. He's been killing lions and he's been killing bears. And so he's kind of a step down, a demotion to go carry all of this heavy stuff to the front line. You can't draw a clear line from shepherd boy, demoted to delivery boy, up to dragon, giant, whatever you want to saw it, because killer, up to king. There's no just clear line. Now, after you get to the end of it and you look at the end of his story, kind of looking backwards, you can go, oh, that makes sense. I can see how that life path kind of fit together and how God orchestrated all of that and fit every single little twist and turn together to where he ended up exactly where he is now. But going forward, there's no way you could have planned that. You know, how many of you, I've done this, we try to plan our A, B, C, D, because we got to climb this rung, that rung, whatever it is, whether it's with the, whether it's whether you're working or whether it's with your hobby or whether it's with your, you're wanting this career in art or music or you're wanting to turn your hobby into something, you know, know, whatever it is, serving in a church, doing a good deed, doing something on the side, having a, a, whatever it is that is your thing, we often try to just A, B, C, D, E, F, climb up the, and what I'm saying is you can't do that. That seems to never work. There's person after person and story after story of all these people that kind of get to this point and after five years, left hand turn, after about five years, right hand turn, after about five years, nose dive, and then up and then down and up and down and around, and they end up exactly where God had them wanting to be all the time. You see what the deal is you got to be faithful in the place where you're at serving the bread and cheese and in God's timing what does God do God delivers you the opportunity that he wants you to have because if you're faithful with the little you'll be faithful with the with the much I was thinking about it this week kind of want to wind down with just two quick stories and see if we can apply it I was trying to think historically is, is there a way we can kind of just see this Because you know the story, David goes out there, Goliath comes, and then he slays the giant, and the giant falls. He cuts it off his head with his his own sword, again, all along when he was going to deliver bread and cheese. Are there real-life stories? And I found two historically. I found this one story of this lady named Sarah Edwards, who was alive back in the 1700s. In fact, her husband, Jonathan, was a, a traveling pastor, an evangelist, who started this movement of revival that was called the Great Awakening. They had, a, had multiple kids. Um, in fact, I think I wrote the number down um, somewhere. I think they actually had like 11 kids. 
And so while he's traveling and he's out preaching, three sons, eight daughters, she is in the house trying to manage the house, trying to run the house as best as she can. Even when he comes in, he's tired. He studied. This guy said to have studied 13 hours a day. It said that he would ride a horse. And while he was riding the horse, he'd have a little pen and paper, and he would write stuff down and pin it to himself to where when he got back to the house, he could just write it down to his notes into a journal. This lady's doing the absolute best she can. And the kids are running in the house, and they're just running mayhem. Well, she thought, what can I do? What can I do at this point to actually make a difference? Because what I've got basically in front of me is bread and cheese. And I want to kill a giant, but no giant's going to be killed because I'm in a house with 11 kids and I'm stuck with bread and cheese, literally. So she comes up with this idea that what she'll do during the day is about one hour every single day, she'll just sit down in the rocking chair and whether she's nursing a baby or whether everybody else is doing whatever it is they do, just kind of run around. She'll pull the apron that she has up over her head. That was when women wore those all the time. She'll pull the apron up over her head and the kids knew, don't talk to mama while mama's got the apron over her head. And while she had the apron over her head, all she did was pray. That was her bread and cheese. And she prayed for her kids, for that generation, for the next generation, and for the generation after that, the generation she would never probably live to see. Here's the results of her praying of her bread and cheese. 400 descendants can be traced, all right? 14 of them became college presidents. 100 became professors. 100 became pastors and ministers. 100 became lawyers and judges. 60 became doctors. That's 374 or 400. It said that the majority of the others actually became writers and editors, okay? You couldn't draw a clear line from stay-at-home mom with 11 kids to that kind of output, could you? But when you look back on it, you see, well, she's faithful with the bread and cheese. Oh, what well, makes complete sense. Do you, do you see? My question is, what's your bread and cheese? What does the Lord set before you? There's one more story I want to share with you. Back in um, 1999, there was this guy, just hold the slide, his name was Joel. Joel's dad had started a church back in the 60s. The church grew to about 6,000 people. Joel was always the behind-the-scenes guy. He was shy. He was timid. He would uh, never, ever speak in public. He started running his dad's television ministry when he was about 17 to 18 years old. Again, behind the scenes, he was the Radio Shack guy, the audiovisual guy of the church, never wanted to be in front. He went to school for two years, dropped out of school to come back and help his dad, never attended seminary. Wasn't that he didn't want to, it's just it was really more important for him to help his dad and serve his family in that way. Well, the church is growing all along. In 1999, um, his dad unexpectedly dies. They thought the father wouldn't. They thought he would actually be healed because the Lord had healed his mother of cancer before. The father dies, 6,000-member church, and everybody wonders who is going to fill in this guy's footsteps now. Joel was the fourth of five kids. Many of the older brothers could have led the church, and much talk was had that maybe the older brothers should. The older brothers were all very humble, all very capable, and all actually thought after prayer that Joel should lead the church. Joel had never spoken in public. He's about 35 years old. It's 1999, and all of a sudden, after much prayer, everybody convinces Joel that he should lead the church. So on a Saturday night, when they had a Saturday night service, he goes into the pulpit for the first time, shy, anxious, embarrassed, very timid, begins preaching grace, and four years later, there are 30,000 people in the church. This guy who never aspired to lead a church, who was the Radio Shack guy of the church, now leads. I got a picture of it. The largest church in America, 45,000 people, 
70 television stations, exposure to 100 million people every single week, all because he was faithful with Radio Shack at the church with the bread and cheese. No clear line from skipping seminary and skipping college and skipping school and all of these other things to go to largest church in America. But somehow what I'm saying to you is whether you're a stay-at-home mom or whether you're a guy that's got a career or whether you're somebody in between, you're faithful with the little. You're faithful with the bread and cheese in front of you. You're faithful with the little. What does God say? He says, I can trust you with a little bit more. You're faithful with that, I can trust you with a little bit more. You're faithful with that, I can trust you with a little bit more. You're faithful with that, I can trust you with a little bit more. Do you guys see it? Okay, do you see that again? The counterpoint here is number one, God can do immeasurably more above what you can ask, what you can think, what you can imagine. Okay, so here's what I'm saying. Whatever you're dreaming, you're dreaming too small. At the same time, we're told in scripture to be content in all things and to steward the little that we have right where we are because here's how it so often happens. Here's what I'm seeing, what I'm sensing, what I'm feeling is that so often stewarding that little is the doorway to that more. And we don't steward the little so we can get to the more. We don't go, well, I'm I'm just going to put in my time so I can get to the bigger. No, no, no. It's like, that's not it. Yet somehow, and I think you're able, if you're listening here, you're able to kind of see things not just black and white, but in all these shades of gray and hold together all these contradictory ideas, right? So it's not that we do the little to get to the more, but simultaneously it's in the doing the little, it's in the being content in all circumstances that so often the more actually comes. Take advantage of the links, free resources down below for you in the show notes. I'll be back again soon with another talk. My prayer for you, as every week I started off, is that the Lord would bless you. He would keep you. He would be gracious to you. He would shine his face of intense favor upon you. And my prayer uniquely for you is today that you would see that super simple, seemingly insignificant small right in front of you. Maybe the thing that you have despised even or detested or just even doubted, if this is worth it, may you see something extraordinary, something supernatural in that what may even feel mundane and normal and may you experience the Lord breaking through, through you in that area. Grace and peace. I'll see you soon.